So last week we went ahead and we looked at Matthew 13 through 26. And we took on the first of Jesus' six teachings to his disciples and all the rest of those people that made it up the mountain as well. Um, the heading on my Bible verses as we go through is murder begins in the heart. And then there's also adultery in the heart. Verse 27 said, You have heard it that it was said of those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We're going to take a look at marriage. We're going to take a look at oaths. We're going to take a look at going that extra mile, that second mile. We're going to look at loving our enemies. But I ask you, what do all of these things have in common? What is the common thread that binds them? It's the heart. When we become Christians, we pray. We pray for forgiveness and we ask for Jesus to enter into our heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And do you see why we need to have Jesus there? Today, well, today might tug on your heart strings a little bit. Your heart might hurt some. And I hope that your heart won't grow cold throughout the sermon. And we'll definitely get to the heart of the matters. Is there any wonder why there's so many cliche references to the heart? Now, you see, the heart, it is a vital organ inside of each and every one of us. And it pumps blood throughout the entire body. It brings that life-sustaining oxygen to every cell. It needs that, and all along that superhighway, the cardiovascular system inside of us. You know, we can lose a lung and still breathe. We can donate a kidney and function just fine. But when the heart stops, it's only minutes before we're going to meet our maker. Heart is a fascinating organ. And you know, inside of each and every one of us, we only have so many heartbeats before we're going to go home and see our Lord. Now, only God knows that number. Exercise makes your heart beat faster, doesn't it? So that's why I'm giving up on exercise. <laughs> I said, think about it, right? It's supposed to make you healthier, but really it's just bringing you closer to that fatal number, closer to death. You know, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, Jim Fix, he was this amazing runner. And in 1977, he wrote this book called The Complete Book of Running. Now, I don't completely understand that because what's there to write about running? Left, right, left, right, left, right, you know. But to prove my point that exercise doesn't make you live longer, what do you think he died of? A heart attack, okay? So I am not exercising anymore. It's as simple as that, okay? <laughs> However, but seriously, in the Christian heart, our Christian walk is so important. And so today's message is called, It's a Heart Thing. So, would you open up your Bibles to Matthew 27, where we will begin, and let's go ahead and start off with a little prayer. 
Dear Lord, I thank you so very much, Lord, that you have given us a heart, and I pray that each and every one of our hearts long for you. Long for you, Lord. Long for your word as we delve into your word today. And Lord, I pray that you would etch it, your word, upon our hearts. Lord, it is desperately wicked, and we need more of you and less of us. So God, please, I pray, fill us, fill our hearts with you and your word today. Lord, I would ask anything of man, anything of me, that it would fall upon deaf ears. But Lord, if it is of you, keep it, hold it within our hearts. We thank you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we start off with verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear, false, uh, shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for this is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of, a great, of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. You have heard it th that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you... Love those who love you. What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven 
is perfect. All right, this is a huge chunk, and I don't know how far we're going to get into this, but let's hit it hard, amen? So, we start off here in verse 27. For you have heard that it is said of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, for the first part, you see, we can sit there and we can sit back and be very self-righteous and say, well, I've never committed adultery. But when Jesus interprets it as God intended it, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then suddenly, ooh, chest gets sucked in and we think, ouch. That desire constitutes guilt in the Lord's eyes. You've heard the phrase, undress them with your eyes. You see, we've already committed adultery. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Some people keep from committing adultery because they're afraid of getting caught. But in their hearts, they commit adultery every day. Now, it's good that they keep from it, but bad that their heart is filled with adultery. Remember when I read Jeremiah 17, 19? Our heart is wicked. It is deceitful. We think we can rest on the thought that it's based upon a choice. Now, Gandhi once said, your thoughts become your words. Your words become actions. Your actions become your habits, and your habits become values. And you know, I believe he was dead on in this. You see, we now may not be able to control certain passing thoughts. I know there's lots of times where suddenly something comes into my head and I'm like, bury the body where? Where did that come from? <laughs> but we, get, we can get those passing thoughts and sometimes it's demonic and there's those whispers into our lives. But notice it's what we rest upon. If we're thinking lustful thoughts and rest on those, notice the succession. Thoughts become words. Words become actions. Actions, habits, habits, a lifestyle. This can be good or bad. If your thoughts are on pornography, then next you're talking about it. Then you're trying to live it out in your fantasies. Next, it's just not that. I want to try this, but instead then it goes on to a habit, an addiction that you need to live out your entire lives. Now, maybe you're here and you're not even married. And you think to yourself, I'm not hurting anybody by just looking. I mean, Adam, if a beautiful car goes by and I look at it, I'm not going to take it out for a test drive. I'm just looking at it, right? And you see, and we try to rationalize our thoughts. We try to rationalize our sin. And I want to put out, bring out two points. That woman is someone else's wife or will be one day. So you've just committed adultery. 
And besides, second point, what is it that we're supposed to think on? Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So when we fill our thoughts and minds, let it not be with the filth of the world and the influences of Satan. But instead, let's meditate on these things. Meditate on his word. Amen? Don't get caught up trying to rationalize your sin. The way that we're interpreting it, um, it makes us feel very pompous. That's the way that they were looking at it then. Pompous and self-righteous. But the way Jesus goes ahead and interprets it, it makes us all guilty. And that's exactly what the law was intended to do. It was to make the whole world guilty before God so that we would not seek to come before God in our own righteousness, but that we would seek the righteousness of that which God has provided for us. That we might stand before God in righteousness before God in righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the law was the schoolmaster, which drives us to Jesus. Now in verse 29, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, let me say that in interpretations of Sermon on the Mount and the words of Jesus, we have to be careful with this. Because if you interpret this wrong, okay, if you take this passage more literally, it really becomes quite ridiculous in its interpretation. I mean, if your eye offends you, you should rip it out and throw it from you. Is that what he's talking about here? That I lust after somebody and then, oh, wait, wait. Ah! Oh, that's better. I, I mean, really. I mean, can it, I mean, just let's, let's just kind of ponder this for one minute. I mean, isn't that really kind of gross, right? Or, or here it is, my right hand causes me to sin. Where's my bandsaw? Put that right there. Okay. All right, got my left hand. We're good. I'm good with you, God. <laughs> I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of extreme. It's kind of repulsive, if you will. Okay? But Jesus is using this, reasoning, is, is, is speaking of these repulsive things to us, um, to show the importance of the entering into Kevin, in, into, into Kevin. No, not Kevin, heaven, okay? <laughs> and the reality is it should be the most important thing for each and every one of us. Do you remember in Ephesians 6 where God talks about the spiritual armor, right? What does the helmet represent? Salvation, exactly. And where is it that we're supposed to put the helmet? On our heads, right? Yes, so that we are always thinking and seeking that eternal kingdom. You see, our thoughts need to be captive. 
They need to be captive. So if we're looking on that girl or guy lustfully, we need to immediately take that helmet, put it back on, and stop thinking about carnal things, and instead think on heavenly things. Now, the third illustration in verse 31, it says, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, the issue of divorce was very interesting at this time. You see, and it's very relevant to today. Um, over here, what they, what they thought was just any unclean reason. If your wife was unclean for any reason, you could go ahead and you had that written, uh, that writing of divorcement. And you see, in those, in those days, women really didn't have any rights. If her husband wanted to divorce her, he could go ahead and do so. But she could not, in turn, just turn around and divorce him. There was no provision for a wife in getting a divorce from her husband. But the husband very easily divorced his wife. And they began, as they do today, to interpret the law and interpret it liberally. You see, the law has been misinterpreted now by the courts more liberal than any other time in our history. So that, for example, if I as an officer were to work, walk up to you, I go ahead and search you, and I don't have any probable cause, but yet I find a gun, I do a ballistics test and find out that that gun matches up to the bullet that went ahead and killed, murdered the guy who's down the street, I find on you uh, his wallet, his watch, paperwork that belongs to him, so he's clearly guilty, guess what? Does he get convicted? No, because I did not have probable cause. There is no DA in the land that's going to go ahead and file on that. They will throw that completely out. But that's how liberal it is. I mean, there was even a gentleman who was guilty. He was clearly guilty, and all the evidence showed that he was guilty. However, they left him in his orange jumpsuit throughout the trials. So what did that do? Well, defense argued that that went ahead and was already the assumption of guilt upon this person, and as such, he was let off. Even though all the evidence was there, everything was there. But on these technicalities, that's how liberal our laws had become. Well, it was the same in, the, in those times, and pretty much there was the two schools of thoughts. You had the school of the rabbis of Shammai and also the school of Hillel. Now, Shammai... Uh, basically, it was restricted some of the indecencies of Deuteronomy 24.1 to refer to only as sexual misdemeanors um, or authenticated by a witness. The school of Hillel, however, a little bit more liberal, reputed, took, uh, reputedly took it of any cause of complaint, even including burning somebody's breakfast. So one school of rabbis under Shammai who interpreted very strictly found that if somebody wasn't a virgin when he married her, that was it. Divorce. Done. But the other school of Hillel, uh, the rabbis, begun to liberalize that law to the extent that they found the uncleanness of the wife could constitute anything. So that she fixed your eggs wrong, guess what? She's gone. She burnt them a little bit too much, she's gone. It was something as simple as that. Here's the writ of divorce and you're out of here. There's no alternative. 
That's one of the reasons why back then dowries had gained such popularity. Because the dowry, in essence, was a alimony in advance. So things didn't work out between, between the man and the woman. She, he went ahead and kicked her to the curb. She came back home. Well, that was okay. Because now the father could go ahead and support her because he had that dowry. So the dowry became an alimony. And it was completely backwards. It was a bad deal when the divorce got liberalized that much, and it's a bad deal today. So this is the background. This is why it was so easy to get a divorce. And Jesus going more towards the original, but we'll get more into it uh, when, we, when we discuss chapters uh, 17 and 19. Um, and we're really going to look at the laws as far as Jesus and divorce is, is concerned because he goes ahead and he amplifies it even more. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not bear false, false witness, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. And I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven nor by God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, obviously, they didn't have Clairol. No hair coloring back then. Um, but Verse 37, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, Jesus was talking about the deceitfulness of being able to say no that kind of sounds like yes and yes when you really meant no. And you see, basically said, he was saying, let your word be your bond. If you take an oath, you know what? Keep to that oath. Have you ever had those people that said, look, I swear on the Bible, I'm telling you the truth, man. Yeah. Well, let me just tell you, okay, Pretty much 99% of the time, if I arrest somebody and they're sitting in my unit and they, tell to you, they go ahead and they say, officer, I swear to you, it happened like this. Get prepared for the lie. <laughs> That's what's coming next. So we should be people of our word. When we say yes, it should mean yes. When we say no, it should mean no. Let your yeses be yes, your noes be no. And, you know, sometimes we get into that place to where we don't want to offend the person. We don't want to hurt them. So we just say, I'll pray on it. Right? Yeah. Okay? Don't do it. If you know that it's not on your heart, if you know it's not from God, and let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. Don't try to cover up that truth. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. <laughs> you know, I really don't mean to get political on you guys all the time. But Trump just keeps bringing these and throwing these things out here. They asked him, what's your favorite Bible verse? Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. <laughs> all right, all right. Hey, it's great material for me. <laughs> But let me explain to you what they were teaching with this law. First of all, the law was not given to the common people. The law was when God was, it, it, what it was, was for God to instruct the judges, OK? 
okay? The judges concerning their judgment in the cases that were brought before them. They were to be equitable, equitable in their judgments. And he uses the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to show that when you judge, make the judgments equitable. Make the judgments fit the crime. That's what he's talking about here. Let the judgments be fitting of the crime that was committed. Let it be eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And you know, it's interesting because I recently also heard it explained that when you look at it in the translation in the Hebrew, it's not talking about, oh, well, hey, guy went ahead and offended me, so he punched me, so I'm going to go ahead and punch him back. No, instead, it was more so dealing with business transactions. So let those business transactions, not a literal eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And once again, there's that liberality that gets into our scripture. So Jesus is talking about equitable judgments, addressing the judges, not individuals. So remember that as we read over that. Now, you know, today and over the centuries, actually, if you look, there's many families or even the gangs that have taken on this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the feuds that go on for generations. And, you know, I kill a, a clan member of yours, and a clan member of yours comes and kills me. I go ahead and take out a gang member, well, guess what? Not only do, am I going to take out one of your gang members, but I am duty-bound, I am honor-bound to go ahead and take out that other gang member. See, it doesn't have to be, and it's not supposed to be, about a personal vendetta. But instead, judgments by judges. Verse 39, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. For whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him also and give him the left. Now, there are those that would take this scripture and take it as resist an evil person and use it as a case or evidence that we're supposed to go ahead and resist police departments. You saw all those riots the whole Ferguson deal and everything like that, and all across this country where people went ahead and took that, it took that literally. It was ridiculous, and it was a foolish interpretation. Now, how can I say that it was ridiculous and foolish? Well, because Jesus never said anything ridiculous and foolish. Amen? All right. Again, he's talking to us and is just saying we aren't to be seeking vengeance. You know, for those of you that know Victor Marx, I want to say fifth, sixth, seventh, 36 degree black belt, right? Yeah. And somebody came up to him one time and they said to him, they said, hey, they said, I don't understand how you can be a martial artist. And yet here it is. God's word clearly says, Jesus clearly said that if somebody goes ahead and hits you on the cheek, that you're supposed to turn the other one. So Victor looked at him and he slapped him across the cheek. <laughs> Now, I would encourage you, don't do this unless you're a fifth-degree black belt. Know that you can get away with it, first of all, okay? But what was he showing the guy? It's not that as Christians we're not supposed to defend ourselves, okay? But again, it comes back to you. It's not supposed to be a vendetta against that person, okay? Are we supposed to turn our other cheek if somebody affronts us? Yeah, we are, okay? But we still have every right to go ahead and defend ourselves. If anyone wants to sue you, verse 40, and take away your tunic, let him also have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Now, I love this saying. Because back in those days, you see, the Roman soldiers could compel you to go ahead and carry all of their equipment for one mile. Under Roman law, uh, it was called Roman Impressment Law, or uh, Romanus Impressimus Leviticus. You could be walking down the road. I just made that up, folks. Okay. Just checking. You're still with me. Under that law, okay, a Roman soldier could walk up to you and he'd just say, hey, Romanus Impressus Leviticus, okay, uh, carry my things for one mile. And you'd have to do it. You'd have to go ahead and carry it for one mile. Now, I don't know about you, but it looks pretty heavy. Yeah? I wouldn't want to carry it for a mile. Heck, my combat load was 125 pounds. I, wouldn't, I didn't like carrying that. But here it was. Think about it. Was there any love between the Roman soldiers and the Jews? No, not at all. Okay? But what does Jesus tell them to do? He says, go ahead, okay? Go ahead. I know that there's the yoke of control over you. I know that you don't like the government. But instead, don't rebel against them. If they ask you to carry it for a mile, don't carry it for a mile, but take it for two. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to go the extra mile. If somebody comes up to you and goes ahead and says, hey, would you help me out with this? Yes, I talked about it last week, okay? Go that extra mile. Because think about it, during that mile, do you think you'll get the opportunity to witness to that person? Maybe talk to them about Christ, right? Yeah, maybe something that you wouldn't have been so inclined to do in the first place. So don't go one mile, go two. Think of that opportunity. That person's gonna wonder, think, you're different. What is it that's different about you? And that very well just might open up the door in order to go ahead and witness to them. Verse 42, give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. For I have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Simple, right? Yeah, just love your enemies. That's it. So that person that's tailgating you down to 330, right? Mm-hmm. All the way down to the middle pass, and then when you get to the middle pass, they speed past you, show you the tall finger, right? God bless you. Is that what we do? <laughs> no. You know, it is such a challenge. And before I got on the highway patrol, I used, to, I used to take comfort and solace in the fact that people who drive like that, statistics have shown that within five to ten years, those individuals will go ahead and end up in a major injury or a fatality accident. Like I said, I used to take comfort in that until I got onto the highway patrol and I'd have to clean up that mess and be sitting there for the next three days writing the reports. Yeah, but it's a little bit difficult, isn't it? But you know, one of the things that I do now is exactly what God's word says. It says that if you pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now when they speed past me and show me the tall finger and I'm not in a black and white, <laughs> I just pray. And I say, God, please watch over them. 
because the way they're driving, they may not make it to their destination. But if they do crash, let them go down in fiery flames. <laughs> Don't you judge me. You were thinking it. I just said it. But seriously, pray for them, pray for yourself, that he might take away that anger, right? Because you remember last week? Anger is only one letter away from danger. Let's be that good example. So we're to love our enemies. We're to bless those who curse you. Those that persecute you. Wait a second. God, even these guys, I'm going to be honest with you folks. There is nothing in this infidel's heart that wants to turn the other cheek, that wants to bless them, that wants to do good for them. Honestly, I think that they would have to kill me right off because I would be kicking and screaming. I would be the proverbial thorn in their side every bit, biting, fighting, whatever it took to fight against this evil. And you know what? Waterboarding? <laughs> I'm all for that. Stick these guys on there. Oh, and by the way, it's biblical too. Really, WWJD? Who would uh, Jesus drown? <laughs> right? <laughs> that was bad, I know, I know. <laughs> Do you remember this picture? The Egyptian Christians, I believe there were 27 of them, who were executed. And do you know what they were saying before they were killed? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. I have to be honest. I don't know if I could be like them. Be like Christ in that situation? Yes. Be like Christ in that situation. But praise God that they did. And they were an example to each and every one of us. Amen? And he goes on. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than the others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, the rain falls on the just, just as the unjust. And you know, I see a good amount of people that die in car accidents regularly. I see the pain on their family members' faces. And it's all too easy to get caught up in our emotion. It's all too easy to get angry with God and say, why did you take this person from us? Why did you take that friend or family member? Well, I think the answer is twofold. First, you see, we often ask the wrong questions. Instead of why, let's make it what. Not why did you take that person from us, God, but instead, what do you want me to learn from this situation? See, our ways are not his ways. And 
we may, not never, we may never know the answers why. You know, when I get to heaven, there's a couple of questions that I definitely am going to ask God. You know, like, why didn't you make the trees shorter instead of the giraffes next longer? Why do people with bad breath always want to tell you secrets? <laughs> but number two, but number two, remember, God treats all men alike, whether they're good or bad. He gives rain to the good people. He gives rain to the bad. He causes the sun to shine on good people, the sun to shine on bad people. God isn't partial in these things. So be like your Father in heaven. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those despite the, despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Now, as I pointed out in the beginning, the way that they were interpreting the law, people could feel self-righteous because they were keeping the law. But the way Jesus interprets the law, we are all guilty, every one of us. Now, as you look at the way that Jesus, is, Jesus was interpreting the law, um, do you feel righteous or guilty? And thus, the true intent of the law was to govern the attitudes of man. When your attitude was wrong before God, you were guilty before God. And you should then be seeking God's forgiveness and God's help. But it's all in the way of the interpretation of the law and the way <coughs> the law was intended, intended to govern the attitudes of man. And Jesus concludes, if you only love those who love you, so what? What's the big deal? Don't you think even ranked sinners do the same? Don't you even think tax collectors? Now, I love that. Who's writing this gospel? Matthew. Who was a tax collector? Matthew. <laughs> Can't you just see Matthew sitting there and hearing that and going, oh, ah, he went there. He went there. Okay, okay, get it. Anyone want to get this? Get this. I can't reach. Get this knife out of my back, right? But I love it. I love it because he says it's no big deal, right? Going around loving those that love you, it's no big deal. You love me? It's only natural. It's only natural. If you're only friendly and kind and helpful to those who know you, those that are your brothers, then are you doing more than anyone else? If you're only loving those that love you, are you doing more than anyone else? Now, the inference here is that as a Christian, we should be doing more. We should be more doing more than the rest of the body, than the rest of those that are out there, so that we can boast in him as a Christian. The whole question is whether we're doing more than that person who is not a Christian. You see, we can get very comfortable in things like that. You know, when President Clinton was going through all of his uh, impeachments and everything. There was something that I heard once said, and they said, you know what? They said one of the reasons why he's still in power is because when people look at him and think of him as the president of the United States and then look at themselves, they say, you know what? I'm really not that bad, am I? And they're comfortable with their sin. 
We don't ever want to get there, people. It's not about them. It's about us. It's about us and how we should be with our God. And then here comes the capper, folks. If you haven't felt like a sinner yet, Jesus says, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Ouch. I didn't make it. I've come far from making it. Therefore, I need his help. And I thank God that he's provided that help for me through forgiveness and through his son, Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. What a glorious day when we'll be able to stand before him. Stand before him in righteousness. Completely faultless. Perfect. Perfect. Why? Not because I'm perfect, but because I am perfect in him. The Bible says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ and you are perfect in him. And that word, when they say, use it there in the Greek, you shall be perfect, is the same in Greek as we use it now. You are completed or you are perfect in him to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding love. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. Thus he died for us. You see, the whole section here, now as Jesus is speaking about the law, didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that he did in his death for us who are guilty because the law is spiritual. I am carnal. And thus the law condemned me. And Paul said, the law came. Sin was revealed and I died. It destroyed me. It condemned me to death because I was guilty. So when you're reading the law in such a way that you feel very smug or self-righteous, well, and you say to yourself, I'm not like other men. I've never done the horrible things. Look again. What is it in the attitude of your heart? That's what God is looking upon. For many of us, look on the outward appearance, but God is looking upon the heart. And that's what God is interested in today. A heart that is broken for him. A heart that grieves over its own sin, its own iniquity. A heart that hungers and thirsts after God. For they then will be filled with that mercy of God. And they will become perfect. Perfect with the pure desire of their hearts for God and the things of God. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I pray that that is our desire, truly, God, that our hearts are inclined towards you. Remove all the sin. Forgive us, for we do fall short. Your word says that we all fall short of the glory of you, Lord. So, Lord, please, I pray. I pray, God, that you would go ahead and forgive us, that we would keep you so close, that we would keep our eyes on heaven. And, Lord, not just in our own hearts, but towards each and every person that we meet, those brothers and sisters that are with us and 
Christians and those that are not. That you would allow us and give us the strength to go that extra mile. That you would truly give us the strength to love our enemies. God, we ask these things boldly. For your word says it. So make it. Make it etched upon our hearts. And I thank you that it is a heart thing. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. 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 Would everybody please stand for the last song?